Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Lord, I thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for life. I thank you for truth. I thank you for hope. I thank you for strength, God. I thank you for all of your grace, God, as we come before you and as you open your word to us, Lord. I pray that uh, the thing that remains is what we hear you say to each one of us, God. I, I pray that as my words come from my mouth, Lord, that you would take them and that you will speak into all of our hearts your truth and your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so we are in a series called The Cutting Edge. Um, and we are talking about this idea that the church, us, not the building, not the stone, not the lights, but us as the human beings, the body of Christ, the family of Jesus, uh, we are the edge of the knife where God's kingdom meets the world. And we are taking the time through this series to talk about how we, as individuals, are ministers of the gospel. It's not about the paid guy who stands at the front on the Sunday, does all the stuff, and then we wander off until next week. That God is calling all of us to reach out and to be sharp for him in the world. Whatever that context looks like for you, whatever that looks like for me, God is calling us to meet the world with his hope and with the good news of the gospel to see his kingdom come. But we are the ones who live on the edge. Amen. So it's in that context today that we are going to look at the whole idea of fatherhood. Um, we're going to be talking about cutting edge fatherhood today since it's Father's Day. Let me take the opportunity to wish you happy Father's Day. I realize that on days like this, for the majority of people, it's a happy day to celebrate, but also that there are some people who find it hard. Yes, there are people who struggle at Father's Day. Uh, you might be here and you're grieving the loss of a husband and a father in your life, or you are a mom trying to be mom and dad, or you're a dad trying to be both in a single parent family. Maybe you're here today and you're desperately trying to fall pregnant, but it's not happening. Your hope is in the Lord, but you're there. Or maybe even you're here today and as a, as a parent, you've grieved the loss of one of your children. You're having to cope with the fact that they went before you, etc. I want to honor you today. I want to respect the difficulties that you face. And I really want to start out with today by saying, you guys are terrific. You know, you guys are awesome. And, and we as a family want to uphold you today in your quest to be everything that your children need you to be. Amen. Or wherever you're at in terms of this idea of children and parents. But also, equally, I want us to see today that fatherhood is tremendously, truly significant in God's economy. And I want to uphold fatherhood today. I want to speak to the fathers in this place today. As a father, I'm speaking to myself as well. Uh, when I speak today, I don't want you to hear or get the impression of what I'm not saying, in the sense that uh, this is all about encouraging us to be greater and more successful, as it were. We're not comparing how far we're falling short, but I want, you not to, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to feel inspired by the Lord to just, by His grace, day by day, be better as a father. So that's the kind of context that I want to speak into today. You know, this whole idea of fatherhood, is it really a big deal? 
In society, it's fractured, it's broken, it's really different to God's economy. But God thinks fatherhood is massive. If you think of the Holy Trinity, two of the members of the Trinity are a father and a son. And if you look through the New Testament, that whole story is all about a son trying to live and honor his father, his heavenly father. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it was important in the culture of the day. Laws and rules were set up to protect widows, the fatherless, foreigners. It was important in, the, in that day for society to support the role that people play. And even in the context where there are no fathers, God wants to reach out and love the fatherless. If you look uh, in the New Testament, as I said, it's the big story, the back story, the overriding context is of a son, Jesus, coming on behalf of his father to make a way for us all to become children of God. And when Jesus ever, whenever he talked about God, he only ever used the word father. And he never did anything without reference to his father. So I want you to see this idea that let's think about Jesus. Let's think about his context today. Let's think about the two fathers in Jesus' life and how important they were in his growing up and in his ministry. Amen? Remember, this is a big picture. This is not about, oh, well, I can never aspire to that. It's broken or what? We're not talking about that because I believe there's grace and there's hope for us today in the context of the body. But we're looking at Jesus and the significant role that fathers played in his life. Imagine where he would be today if he was fatherless. Uh, I was looking up some, some statistics in terms of this idea of how much of an issue uh, fatherlessness is today. And in the, there are in the area of two million and up families in the UK today that do not have significant contact with a father. There are children, there are single parent families where 90% of those families are led by a mom and there's no dad and that's the context that those children are growing up in. And interestingly, the threshold for what they considered to be meaningful contact of a father was two incidences of contact a year. So just let's throw the net even wider. When we talk about this whole idea of fatherhood, you'll see that that is just like really a low mark. Um, Psalm 146 verse 9 says, The Lord watches over the foreigner, and he sustains the fatherless and the widow. In Malachi 4, this is really interesting. This gives you the idea of God's heart towards the fathers. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. He's talking about, God's talking about how he's going to send Elijah with a certain responsibility. And this is what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. It's important to, get to God that children are relating to their father, that their hearts are towards their fathers, and that the hearts of the fathers are towards their children. It's, it's plain and simple to see that God loves fatherhood, and he loves fathers, and there's a context for them to play a significant role. 
So let's read together Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read you a few verses. It's going to feel like Christmas a little bit because that's when we typically read these verses. But I think it's helpful. We're going to look at uh, the relationship between Jesus and Joseph, the whole pretty much of my sermon today, and make reference to to his heavenly father as well a, a little bit. But we're looking at the story of Joseph and what the Bible has to say about him and the context of Jesus' birth. This is how, in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And in verse 22 it says, All of this took place, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. The Bible doesn't say much about Joseph. You you see him a couple of times. The next real time that you see him is the story when Jesus is 12 years old and uh, they're all on their way back home and the caravan is moving along and Jesus slips out and stays behind. And for a few days, Joseph and Mary don't know where he is. That's about it, really, in terms of what the Bible says about Joseph. But there are a couple of significant things that I think that we can pull out. I, f- I felt it appropriate to look at Jesus because, I mean Joseph, sorry, because when God looked at Joseph, he deemed Joseph suitable to look after the Son of God. So there must be something significant about Joseph that we can all learn. And I want to talk about three significant roles that fathers play. So there are also some applications for us as a church where we can encourage fatherhood in this context. So the first role that Joseph played was that he was a loving leader in his family. I use the word loving because if you read the story and you actually think about it and look into it, you realize that Joseph loved God. He lived to please the God of Abraham. And the Bible tells us that he loved his wife. Mary. So that's the context as we get going in terms of fatherhood. How can we become better fathers? Very simply, and we're just going to look at it now, love God more, love our wives more. Amen. So think about the story now. You're engaged, and in those days engagement wasn't a light thing. You pretty much had committed yourself to be married. 
It was a big deal. The ceremony was just like the sealing of this covenant, but you had started that journey, you were committed, and it was as good as if you were married. And the Bible tells us that it was found, or, or Mary, interestingly, there was no angelic announcement from heaven, hey, this is Mary, she's about to have the Son of God. It was just discovered that she was pregnant. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes now. Discovering now that your fiance is pregnant and you know you haven't slept with her. So who's father? Who's the father? Right? Can you imagine the emotions that are coursing through him now? Because by that stage, the angel hadn't appeared to him. He was trying to come to terms with the fact that his wife was pregnant and it wasn't him. So you can imagine there were feelings of hurt. There were feelings of betrayal. There were feelings of anger. How would that typically play out in today's society? There would be a massive fight. Joseph would be right, you're out on your ear, Mary. You've just been sleeping around. I'm not interested in you. And probably if you're an observer, you would be like, sharp. You know, that's not unreasonable, Joseph. But it doesn't play out that way, does it? The Bible tells us that Joseph was sensitive to Mary's shame. It says, no, he didn't go out into the town and publicly disgrace her. He had in mind to quietly divorce her so that she would not be shamed. The Bible tells us that he was a righteous man. He loved God. He was a man of integrity. And he loved and he honored those around him. Even in the face of wrongdoing, the Bible says he treated Mary well. Then he has the dream, and the angel says to, uh, to Joseph, don't divorce her. She is pregnant with the Son of God. You are to be the father. Take her home to be your wife. Now, it's one story, I guess, to shame someone who has been unfaithful, but then to say, you can be my wife, and also realize that in the context of that society, people would talk like they do today, amen? You know that if you take her to be your wife, people are gonna be talking about you as a family endlessly. Even to his own shame, the Bible tells us that he was obedient to God. He was obedient to God, he took Mary to be his wife. And for me, that is significant that as the head of his home, as the leader in his family, what an example he was setting for his children. You know, Jesus wasn't the only child in the family. There were at least seven children in that family. And this was Joseph humbly modeling to his family obedience and love. And so I guess today as we talk about this whole idea of being a loving leader, guys, my point is, if you want to be a great father, love your wife with all that you have. Through thick and thin, fight for what you have. Because God's grace will be with you. Amen. Amen. Love your wife and love God. If you, if you were to walk away today with something significant, I would encourage you, fix your eyes, guys, on God, to honor Him and live for Him 
and love him and love your wife, even when you don't feel like it. Amen. Because that time will come. We both will feel it for each other, but we're going to stick at it and honor the Lord. So, loving leadership. The second point that I want to make, fathers are called to impart identity to their children. It's a significant role for a father in the marriage and family context. They impart identity to their children. Think about this now. Joseph has taken Mary as his wife, but this child is not his child. Not only is there potentially this, the talking and all of the thing of, of an unfaithful wife, but now he has chosen to father a child that is not biologically his. So he adopts Jesus into his family. And effectively, he is saying, Jesus, you are my son. You are acceptable. You are part of this family. I love you. And I want to father you. And so he's imparting identity by giving Jesus a sense of belonging. Our children need to know that they belong. Uh, the second thing that Joseph imparts in terms of identity to, to Jesus is the Jewish faith. He's teaching him what it means to be a Jewish man. What it means to be part of the Jewish community. That's part of his identity. So as fathers, we are imparting our values as God-fearing men to our children because that forms their identity out in the world. It gives them context. They say, my name is so-and-so Matheson. I'm part of the Matheson family and I'm a Christian. I'm part of the family of God. Significant impartation in terms of identity. And the third point that I wanted to make in terms of identity is affirmation. Children need to receive affirmation from us as parents. And as a father, we can impart affirmation to our children and it can have a significant impact on their development. If you remember back to the story of Jesus, or fast forward now, to when he's just been baptized, the Holy Spirit has descended as a dove upon him and a voice comes from heaven. The God of heaven is speaking and he's announcing to the world, this is my son. And in him, I am well pleased. I am proud of him. I'm giving him honor and esteem as a man, as my son. Here he is. This affirmation that flows out over Jesus from Joseph and then from his heavenly father. Man, just imagine how awesome that is for him to know who he is and where he belongs and what he's about. So identity, imparting identity is a significant role as a father. And my third, my third point today is this whole idea that fatherhood is not a biological act, but a process of mentoring. Uh, meaningful mentoring from the beginning of conception or birth I should say and all the way through to adulthood is what fathering involves amen it's not contact tw um, contact twice a year as what the world might say is reasonable uh, where God wants us to be more and more involved amen we're called to be there throughout the whole process um Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. It's not 
a lesson that you have for 30 minutes, it's the process. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. Listen to this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's like through the, the small minutiae of life, fatherhood happens. Fatherhood happens. Men, fathers living in front of their children, it's a process. So I'm gonna quickly run through this process. And if you, yeah, there's four stages to the process. When you have a baby, your role as a father or as a parent is like a commander. You're the boss. You make all the decisions on behalf of your children. You tell them, do this, don't do that. It's all about learning obedience, amen? And discipline is involved in there because we all need to learn where the boundaries are, where we begin and end, and we need to be able to be obedient because we have a Father in heaven who tells us how we should live. And from a young age, if we know how to be obedient, we won't struggle, right? Then you have the next stage where you become like a coach, where as your child gets older, you're starting to talk about the whole decision-making process and you're beginning the process of them taking on uh, independence and you're, you're giving them the opportunity to start to make little decisions, but you're talking about why you should do it this way and not that way so that there's understanding. Now they're starting to take ownership. Then you move on from there to the stage which we call teenagehood, where you go from being the coach to being the counsellor, where suddenly now as a parent or as a father, uh, you realise that there are more voices in the world than just yours, and your children are listening to many voices, and you are a context creator for them. They're out there getting worldviews and taught certain things, and you are helping them to process all of that and to own it. You're like a coach. You're like, do it with me. This is how we do it. This is why you should do it this way. And there's more independence. There's more decision-making. Until you get to the stage where you become the consultant, where your children leave home, they go to university, you are struggling with the quietness of the house, and you might get the odd telephone call from them, they come and visit you at the holidays or whenever it was, but there are just, you have to be patient and available and pray. And there will be times when they come to you with a question. And it's rare, but it's significant and you get the opportunity to speak into their lives and then they're gone again. Those are the stages. It's that whole process from beginning to end where fatherhood takes place and it never stops, amen? It never stops and that's what God calls us to through that whole process to mentor our children. So having said all of that um, and understanding that there's an ideal and there's a goal but that life happens in the midst of it, how can we as a church, this is where I guess we have to think practically as the church, how can we foster fatherhood in our context with the people that we have? What are the needs that are out there? How can we be a part of the change? How can we be a support, a network? Because we're a family in God's economy. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 as I close this morning. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church 
And he says to them, and even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. There's this idea, there's an African proverb, I don't know if you've heard it, which says, it's the village that raises the child. Where it's a bigger context of maturing and developing and caring. Where the parents are involved, but when the children are in the wider context, there's a working together to see children raised well and given hope and opportunity. And Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, he's saying there's loads of instructors, loads of people who tell you what to do. You know that word guardian in the context of the day? It was like a, a nanny who was paid to walk the children to school and back home and to look after them whilst they were playing, to correct them and keep them behaving correctly. But there was no responsibility of parenthood or fathering going on there. Uh, Paul was saying there's loads of people who've got so much to say, but how many people are there in the church who want a father, who want to take responsibility for seeing fathering taking place? And he's saying there's not many of you guys out there. And he says, I spiritually, he declares, I am your father because it was through his ministry that this church or these people found faith and we're growing up. So there's a spiritual fatherhood context going on as well. And my prayer is that as we go on from today, that we as individuals be able to be better fathers in our own families, but as a community, we will see this whole idea of fatherhood growing on a, a physical context, but also in a spiritual context. We need spiritual fathers. We're all growing, amen. We all need leading and guiding. Lord, I thank you today that you are our Father. That you're the reference point for us when it comes to fatherhood, Lord God. Thank you for your grace, Lord, today. Whatever our context is, Lord, as I was saying at the start, Lord, I thank you for helping us as parents, as fathers, as a church, to be who you're calling us to be, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will help us as we are the cutting edge, Lord, to see this whole idea of development and fatherhood and parenting just progress and be such a positive thing in our midst, Lord. Thank you that you're with us equipping us, Lord, and leading us. Come, Father God, and have your way in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.